Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Thanks for joining me as we talk to Jason Arnup, the author of The Last Days of Jack Sparks. I'm your host, fantasy writer Gabrielle Matthew. I'm the author of the Falcon series. You can find out more about me on my website, GabrielleMatthew.com, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-M-A-T-H-I-E-U.com. So let me share my reactions about reading The Last Days of Jack Sparks. This was my take on it. It's a modern morality tale that lurks under this fast-paced horror novel. The Last Days of Jack Sparks consists of a diary of a fictional character, Jack Sparks, along with a collection of interviews about him. Additional commentary by his surviving brother begins and ends the work. Jack Sparks is a well-known writer and personality who scoffs at the idea of the afterlife and would love to disprove hauntings and other supernatural encounters. Now that he's gotten clean in rehab, he's ready to concentrate on his new book, Jack Sparks on the Supernatural. Other than his love interest, his red-headed roommate, he's disinterested in other people unless he can exploit them in some way. At least 50% of the information I just wrote turns out to be false. Jack is an unreliable narrator. The events he describes in his journal are framed by Alistair, his brother, who, as it turns out, has his own motivation for presenting events a certain way. Let's just say Jack and Alistair were not close. Generally, I'm not a fan of horror novels. Despite that, this one kept my interest with its echoes of Gone Girl, strangely enough. The main character creates a curated version of himself in his journal. In this case, Jack wants badly for us to believe he is cynical and self-confident, a Hunter S. Thompson-type journalist on the prowl for people who ridicule. There's no doubt that Jack is funny, though his cutting remarks are intended to provoke. As it turns out, that deflecting humor shields a deep well of pain, and that's where the novel got really interesting for me. Denial of our own negative energy means it has to be projected onto something or somewhere. Jack has a great deal of neediness and anger built up behind his facade of arrogance. What happens with those emotions when they're given free reign leads us to a frightening climax with tragic repercussions for those involved with Jack. So now maybe you're ready for an excerpt. This is a little horrible. It is a horror book after all, but it's not very gory overall. This part is. So we're joining Jack right as he's watching an exorcism. This is part of the research for his book. And he's narrating, keeping his journal about what happened, recollecting this incident. Probably bad to laugh during an exorcism of a 13-year-old girl, right? Well, I just did. You should see this bullshit. I consider attaching a photo of the exorcism in full swing, then ditch the idea. 
It might prompt Beard and Beardless to wrestle me to the floor while trying to confiscate my device. I could take them both on. Yeah, no question. But I just don't need the bother. Destafano seems back on a roll, clutching a wooden rod with a perforated metal ball on the end. He emphasizes certain bits of banter by using this device to fling droplets of something at Maria. We drive you from us, whoever you may be. Maria shrieks every time this stuff hits her. Oh, yeah, he's bringing out the big guns now. Holy water. Yep, another box ticked. Unclean spirits, all satanic powers, all infernal invaders. Ah, Maria shrieks again and she bares her teeth. Poor Maria, she growls. In such pain, locked deep inside herself, she will die before we ever let her go. All wicked legions, assemblies, and sects. Maria twists in agony at this last triple whammy of water gets her right in the face. Interestingly, her face reddens as if scalded. Wonder how they did that. I should pay more attention. Remember what a small boy once told you about your nieces? Maria says. He meant what he said. Believe it. De Stefano shoots a swift, meaningful glance my way, weirdly vindicated. Oh, it's a great moment. Very clever. I do love a bit of continuity. Online, there are already 200 responses to my exorcism post. Most of these ask whether I'm really at an exorcism or where exactly it is taking place. Some say how scared they'd be to see an exorcism, while others laugh along with me. Are they really still doing that stuff? Says Domina22 from Cape Town. It's like science never happened. That beard and beardless hold Maria as firmly as they can as the exorcism builds to a grand finale. Di Stefano dishes out his pious gems, louder and more forceful than ever. One thing's for sure, if Maria Corvi isn't giving the performance of her young life, she needs an MRI scanner right away. She froths at the mouth, her irises are nowhere to be seen, and her neck appears to have stretched, which must be down to the angles again. Always working the angles, these guys. Finally, she convulses, breaks free of the aids, and falls to her knees. Then she regurgitates something red and unexpectedly solid, which hits the ground with an even less expected clang. Ooh, okay, they've upped their game. They've got me back. Yes, vomiting is another exorcism cliche. But I'm curious, why the clang? I crane my neck to see, but this brings no satisfaction. So I spring up, edge past Madalena, and head to the front. I'm an audience member evading security and running to get a closer look during a pen and teller show. Beardless gestures for me to stay back, offering a clear challenge. Ignoring him, I strain to see what Maria has thrown up. There's blood, some kind of spongy matter, and pieces of metal that are hard to identify. Okay, well, listeners, I think you get the picture. Uh, Jack is making fun of the exorcism, but we have to wonder if this is all really staged or not. Pretty soon, we're going to have Jack on the show. So I'd like to tell you a little about him. He is a British author and scriptwriter with a background in journalism. He wrote the Lionsgate feature film Stormhouse and various Doctor Who things, and script edited the film The Man Inside. 
You can find out more about him at his website, jasonarnup.com. And his last name is A-R-N-O-P-P.com. He's also on Twitter. Same name, Jason Arnup is his handle. So we're going to welcome Jason now. Welcome, Jason. Your biography on your website is minimalist, but I'm tantalized to know that you're a nostalgia-hungry doofus. Tell us a thing or two about yourself before we start talking about the last days of Jack Sparks. Absolutely. Hi, Gabrielle. Uh, well, let's see. Um, I used to be a rock journalist for many years. Um, then I switched career to fiction. And, you know, although I suppose some people might say that journalism and fiction naturally go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> and in terms of being a nostalgia-hungry doofus, as I describe myself on my own website, um, yeah, I do seem to have a few hobbies that relate back to the 80s. Um, I collect VHS tapes, for instance, and uh, retro video games and certain types of magic trick. Um, and funnily enough, I managed to work all three of these passions into a book called uh, Auto Rewind. But mostly these are just sort of, you know, leisure pursuits. I don't know, I suppose, in terms of nostalgia, everyone, I suppose everyone has some period of their life that just seems like it was easier or better or more carefree. Uh, but the key is obviously to live in the present rather than the past. Uh, so all the listeners who are listening, if you have anything that Jason might like, you can visit his website and find exact descriptions there. Absolutely. <laughs> so starting to, in our discussion of the last days of Jack Sparks, as the novel progresses, people die. It's a horror novel after all. They die mostly in a gruesome manner. Do most individuals in this novel get what they deserve? <laughs> That's a very good question. And I suppose just on the topic of uh, the gruesomeness, there is, there is a fair bit of gru in the novel, but I've been really pleased that people like yourself, I think, who don't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily always go for a horror novel, um, seem to really like it, you know, have really got into it. So that's fantastic. Um, in terms of, yeah, do most individuals in this novel get what they deserve? It's a tricky one, that, because despite being on, being a horror writer, on a personal level, I hold this idealist, idealist view that no one actually deserves to die. <laughs> So, you know, strictly speaking, I would have to say no. Um, but looking beyond that, I suppose there is a certain kind of twisted justice to some of the characters' fates. Um, although one character in particular really doesn't deserve theirs. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, to say who that is would, of course, be a colossal spoiler. It certainly would. And as far as the gruesomeness goes, I can assure the listeners it's not too bloody. A uh, lot of fantasy these days is really pushing the envelope. And so I'm glad to see that this isn't that the last days of Jack Sparks isn't pushing the horror envelope. It's, uh, it's um, keeps you on the edge of your seat. You certainly wonder what's going to happen, but it's not like a slasher book. <laughs> wow. That's, that's good. I'm glad that, you know, glad, glad you liked it. Well, one of the inciting events of the book is Jack Sparks attending an exorcism. At first, he thinks it's a total sham. He laughs at the possessed girl, Maria. He writes that the entire performance is over the top. Many pages later, Jack watches helplessly as something terrible happens in a hotel bathroom. Now he accepts that there was a demon, 
and he wants to know why has he earned its enmity. He's told that this thing inside Maria demands to be the center of attention. It demands fear and respect. Isn't that also a reflection on Jack himself, who wants to be the center of attention? Absolutely, yes, it certainly is. Um, Jack is the kind of guy who can never get enough attention um, for reasons which we'll discover as the book progresses. And that, you know, that's why that need for attention is why social media has become the perfect sandpit for him to rampage around in. And so I guess we're back to the topic of people getting what they deserve, in fact, because when Jack first encounters Maria Corvi at her exorcism in a small church in Italy, he has very much met his match. He just doesn't know it right off the bat. He does. Does uh, Do I recall correctly, did Jack have his own Twitter feed at one time? I think um, I don't think we ever went so far as to give him his own Twitter feed, um, but he, there is um, there is a, a website um, which is, and even as I say this, it's been so long since I've taken a look. I'm just you can probably hear me typing. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> just to check. I sprang this on him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to make sure I give you the correct URL. There is a website at jacksparks.co.uk which uh, purports to be the original site that Jack Sparks had. And there's, there's lots of stuff on there, actually. There's some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. It's worth checking out, after, probably after you've read the book. But I, I don't think it's too spoiler if you haven't either. You just need to know Jack is quite a character, and he's very funny too. <laughs> but what does it say about Jack Sparks that Hunter S. Thompson is his hero? <laughs> well, first of all, it says that Jack's a bit of a doofus. But having said that, I do like... Uh, <laughs> I do like Hunter S. Thompson, you know, his, his writing is fantastic. Um, yeah, I'd say that Hunter S. Thompson provides the kind of image that Jack really wants to appropriate. He wants to be seen as this cool rock and roll gonzo journalist who drinks, does drugs, but but still gets his reports filed on time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack's favorite book, apart from, <laughs> apart from his own books, of course, would uh, undoubtedly be Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And that was a great movie too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Johnny Depp kind of embodied Hunter there, didn't he? I think he's a big fan. Well, Jack Sparks has one close friend, his roommate Bex. He writes about her in his books, but not everything he says is accurate. Tell us a little bit about what role Bex plays for Jack. Yeah, what role does Bex play for Jack? I mean, for, for Jack... I think she's a kind of grounding influence, really, because she's the only person in his life who's ever allowed to question him. Uh, she can kind of, you know, puncture his ego because, you know, he likes her, you know, and she is a close friend of his, the closest thing he's got to a close friend. Um, or, I mean, at least she attempts to keep him grounded anyway. Whether she succeeds or not is another matter. But I think also from the reader's point of view, Bex does kind of represent the reader um she tends to ask the kind of questions of jack that we would want to ask him ourselves such as you know what the hell are you doing (laughs) (laughs) a very useful purpose (laughs) yeah yeah the reader's eyes and and mouth Mm -hmm. and she makes him a little more sympathetic because if someone like bex likes jack he he can't be as much of a doofus as he seems to be 
Yeah, yeah. You have to ask yourself why has, why has she put up with him for, mm-hmm. for all this time? You know, he must have uh, he must have another side to him at least. Well, Jack also has a brother, Alistair, and mm. Alistair writes the book, which contains Jack's last book. The book, which is actually written by the author I'm interviewing right now, Jason Ornip. So <laughs> this book, in addition to interviews and a transcription of an audio tape, has a commentary by Alistair. He refers to the alleged interaction of the devil with Jack as a lesson about ego and certainty. Please expound on that statement. Yeah, a lesson about ego and certainty could be said to sum up the whole book, really, although it's definitely not intended to be a lesson, you know, a pointed lesson as such. I mean, maybe a cautionary tale at best, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not all that keen on authors who set out to, to teach their readers a thing or two. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from anything else, the reader is always way smarter than uh, many authors expect. But yes, uh, one of the original sparks of the uh, pun unintended uh the original one of the original sparks for the book was the amount of certainty and ego i began to see on social media a, a, two or three years back and on on twitter in particular uh because i think as someone points out in the book no one on twitter ever says i just i don't know what i don't entirely know what i think about this issue so let me have a good think about it and i'll come back to you you know everyone has an opinion and they're all extremely certain that they're right about it that's so true it's like who's shouting the loudest in a room yeah it's, it feels like the, the the final taboo in this world is not having a solid opinion on everything <laughs> and so i think jack sparks came to embody the, the worst in all of us when we're let loose on a platform like twitter um, he is our inner ego run riot and he does certainly learn his lesson by paying the ultimate mm-hmm. price yeah he's all id yeah yeah he's all about the id well the conceit of the novel is as i just mentioned that alistair jack's brother is writing a book we're reading and that book presents jack's accounts of his last days the thing is alistair and jack have pretty different versions of many events which alistair attempts to reframe since he's the final author of the purported book. Tell us a little about their relationship. Yeah, so um so yeah, as you said, Alistair takes the manuscript of Jack's final book, then adds his own prologue and epilogue, as well as adding new materials, such as interviews that Alistair has conducted with people, which uh do indeed seem to contradict some of the ways that Jack has painted events. And as this book within the book goes on, we quickly get the impression that there's uh, a great deal of sibling rival rivalry between Jack and Alistair. Um, it's, that's obvious from Jack's side pretty much straight away. But uh, as the story progresses, we perhaps start to sense that maybe Alistair has an ulterior motive for getting involved with his brother's epitaph. People just have to read to find out what that Indeed, is. Indeed, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Unless you wait until the movie comes Ooh. out. Because the exciting news is that uh, this book is being made into a movie. And I do have some a question about mm, that. Absolutely, Jason, you had some experience writing for television and film. Were your connections helpful in getting director Ron Howard's commitment to filming your book? We'd love to know about the process. Yeah, um, 
let's see. I mean, how did that happen? Um, I mean, I have a great manager in uh, New York, uh, Lawrence Mattis, who um, is a partner at Circle of Confusion, and they they uh, produce things like The Walking Dead. So he was a well-connected guy um, who was able to 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 um, display the book around Hollywood and um, see who bit. And, you know, when Ron Howard's company, Imagine Entertainment, bit, obviously, uh, as you can imagine, it was the most wonderful thing you could imagine because I've always loved Ron's work and he always mm -hmm. seemed like a great guy too. And I'm very pleased to confirm, having met him a few times now, that he really is as as cool as he seems to be when you see him being interviewed or you know just on tv or something and you're getting to work on a screenplay too it seems yeah like. i'm working on the screenplay uh as we speak um which is a very cool thing i mean you asked about my my sort of um experience writing for film and whatnot and i suppose the fact i'd written uh a film that was that was made a few years ago um that potentially you know gave ron the the uh, the confidence to let me have a crack at the screenplay but he has really excellent past form in terms of um you know letting the, the original creators of things that he's adapting um have a go at the adaptation um for instance peter morgan who wrote the the uh, the play frost nixon ended up writing the screenplay mm -hmm. for frost nixon which is uh, one of my favorite films of ron's actually uh, I love I love how that film makes a journalistic interview look like a a Rocky style boxing bout. <laughs> um, so yeah, Ron's just very cool and very supportive, and he was just so into this book. I mean, when I first met him, um, we met in a restaurant in London for lunch, and I kind of expected him to have this big entourage, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm, and to be right. perfectly honest, I kind of expected Ron to have reading elves who had read the book for him and maybe he hadn't actually read it himself but it was only him and me at the table and you know very quickly with the questions he was asking it was utterly clear that he had really read this book really well and was really into it um so that was just as you can imagine fantastic that's great do you have any actors or actresses expressing interest in the project or signed well, up it's, it's early days yet i mean the uh, development is a mm -hmm. is a long and windy road um ron has I have yeah heard. ron has certainly i have to be secretive about this unfortunately but ron has certainly uh, occasionally mentioned people who he'd like to play jack sparks that kind of blew my mind mm -hmm. um but I can't tell you who they were. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so yes, early days, but uh, you know, fingers crossed moving forwards. It's certainly a lot of fun. Well, is there anything else that you're working on right now or projects that are on the horizon? Um, yeah, I've got a few things happening. And of course, one of them is uh, my, my second novel, um, which all I can say about that at the moment is that it, it's not, it's not a sequel to, to the last days of Jack Sparks. Um, Yes. You know, I suppose the title of the book probably gives away the fact that you couldn't really do a sequel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not about that. No, no, exactly. Um, so, yeah, lots of things happening. But, uh, second novel and adapting my first novel for Ron Howard, that's uh, more than enough to keep me off the streets at the moment. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me today. Uh, thanks so much, Gabrielle. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time, too. Thanks for joining us today on New Books and Fantasy and Adventure. For my interview with 
Jason Arnep, the author of the horror novel, The Last Days of Jack Sparks. You can find out more about Jason at his website, www.jasonarnep.com. His last name has one N and two P's. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, the author of the historical fantasy Falcon series, which includes The Falcon Flies Alone and The Falcon Strikes. I blog about travel and other things that inspire me at my website, GabrielleMatthew.com. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more. My handle is at Gabrielle Author. Till next time.